0: Well, there was a dad of a 16-year-old young man, and he wanted to try to figure out what his son was going to become, so he thought he'd give a little test to try to determine his future, so he laid out in his son's room a computer with the Tinder website, pulled up, a bottle of whiskey, $50 bill, and a Bible. He thought to himself, if he grabs the Bible, maybe he'll be a preacher. If he grabs the money, he might be a businessman. If he goes on Tinder and logs in, he might be a womanizer. And if he takes any drink of that whiskey, he's going to become a, a drunk. So I don't know what kind of dad this is, but this is what he did. So his son comes in and he takes the 50, throws it in his pocket, takes a drink of whiskey, logs into tender, throws the Bible under his arm and walks out. And the dad thought, oh my goodness, he's going to be working in Washington as a politician. Just a friendly reminder to vote on Tuesday. That's all I'm going to say, all right? That's it. That's all I got there, okay? Well, we all love good stories, don't we? We're talking about stories. We're talking about kingdom. And I learned this recently that there are people, this is a great job to have, in the entertainment industry that all they do is write these things called log lines for movies and TV shows. A log line is kind of a synopsis. A log line gives like the main character kind of their their problem the challenge they have and the obstacles they have to overcome and then there's just something in there to entice you to want to see this movie so what i thought to do since we're talking about kingdom and parables and stories during this series i'm going to read you some log lines and i want to see if you can guess which movie it is now i'm going to tell you i'm biased because i'm doing this so i picked some of my favorite movies okay so some of them are a little older. It's okay. Here's the first one. A naive but ambitious farm boy from a backwater desert who discovers powers he never knew he had teams up with a feisty princess, a mercenary pilot, and an old wizard warrior to lead a ragtag rebellion. Any guesses? Star Wars. Star Wars. That's right. Okay. Some of you got that. One for one. Okay. Someone in my home, this next one's their favorite movie. I'm not going to say who. I may or, may or may not be married to her. Um, an inept dog groomer and limousine driver chased the latter's dream girl across the country, risking their lives to deliver her briefcase. Dumb and dumber. Dumb and dumber, okay. Tells you a little bit about uh, pastor's wife there. Um, <laughs> here, here's another one. I don't know if you've seen this. A man and his friends walked the 660-mile trail of death, learning the brutality that the Potawatomi people endured at the hands of the U.S. government in 1838, discovering that if we forget our past, we destroy our future. Little plug, that's my documentary that's coming out soon. There's a little picture of it. So a lot of you have been asking, and I keep forgetting to tell you, but... Um, the documentary is still being finished. It is still being worked on. It's just taking a lot longer than what we thought. We even had meetings this week about it. But it's, it's coming, all right? It's not going to be a comedy, by the way. <laughs> all right. Here's another one. This is our family's favorite movie. A successful psychotherapist loses his mind after one of his most dependent patients, an obsessive compulsive neurotic, tracks him down during his family vacation. What about Bob. That's the Eckerd's favorite movie, just so you know. Okay, here's another one. A shy young hero inherits a simple gold ring that holds the secret to the survival or enslavement of the entire world. Lord of the, Rings. Lord of the Rings. All right, you guys are doing pretty good. All right, a man is afraid of commitment until he meets the girl of his dreams. But he then discovers that she has short-term memory loss and she forgets him every day. 51st dates, Okay. Man, you guys are doing pretty good so far. This one's a little tougher. This is a newer one, 2022. A young girl is sold to a pimp and is broken and emotionally empty who then finds a kindly farmer who shows her the path to a decent life. Anybody know that one? I don't even know what that was, but that's not right. (laughs) Redeeming Love is the movie, and it's an incredible movie that that parallels a lot of the story of, of Scripture. So that's a great movie, by the way for your parents. Okay, last one. A man discovers a reckless traveler who is brutally attacked and left for dead. Overcoming racial tension and his own fears, the unlikely hero decides at the risk of his own life to try and rescue the victim who has been cruelly ignored by others. If I know that one? It's the story of the Good Samaritan. That's where we're going to go today. How's that for a segue? So that was one of our, that was our first reading this week in the guides, and I want to tell you again, I say this over and over, but I hear from people almost on a daily basis on how they're just feeling so much more connected to their faith, their relationship with God, and to Daybreak through our guides. So um, hopefully you are tracking with us in those, maybe even with your family, our ministries. All of us are doing this together, and the, the story that we read for day one this week was the story of what is commonly known as the Good Samaritan. That's what we're going to read today. And again, this might be a familiar story to you, but we're going to unwrap it. And I always believe that if we can take a long enough look, even at something familiar within the Bible, there's something new that can be spoken to us. And as we read this story today, um, these stories are about reaching people. Now, Carly mentioned this earlier, and I just want to say something real quick for those of you that... That might know. They revealed something big this week. Craig and Carly who helped lead us here in worship. They're going to have a baby. So that's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. But Carly mentioned it. And I'm going to give you another opportunity. Because I think this is a moment for us right now. You know, I was just talking to somebody that lives in a different part of the country just yesterday. And I was, he was saying, how's daybreak going? And I, I told him some things, and he said, that's a miracle, and that's a miracle, and that's a miracle. And it's really true. So I want you for a minute to pretend like your college football team is 9-0, okay? And you're just about ready to win the championship. When I tell you, and I want us to really celebrate here for a minute, because each of these people's lives is an individual story, we talked about that as a staff this week at Daybreak that when we, when we mentioned this, that when someone comes to Christ, we read it. There's rejoicing in heaven over one who was lost and is now found. And I want you to just take a minute, and I just want us to like really let it hang out here for a second. And let's celebrate the fact that 30 people have come to Christ here at Daybreak in the last three weeks. Can we do that? Can we just celebrate? Like really celebrate? That is amazing. That is a miracle. That is a miracle that God is doing here among us at Daybreak. It's incredible. You know, there are churches throughout America that don't see that happen in a year to see one person. And God has blessed us here at Daybreak to see 30 people come to Christ and that's something we always ought to, I, I was just thinking all week about last week. We move on, churches, people, preachers, like when you speak from week to week, you just kind of forget the past and I want to go back to last week for a minute and say this, that, that for many of you here, that last week what God was really speaking is that I'm on the lookout for a, a family member, a friend, a neighbor that needs Jesus. And we're starting to talk more and more about the Christmas village. Next week, I'm just giving you a heads up. We're going to give you the opportunity to begin to pray specifically for people in your life. We're going to give you a, a, a reminder in your everyday life that you can um, pick up to use to just be praying for people in your life. The, the Christmas village is a way that you can be reaching out to friends and family members and neighbors. in a, in a very easy way to bring them into experience because everyone loves Christmas. Christmas movies are already starting to play, by the way. We turned on the TV last night and the elf was playing. And it reminded me of, of what someone told me about stories in Hollywood. Karen Covell, she's the leader of the Hollywood Prayer Network, and she told me when I was out there earlier this year, she said, Jeff, the overwhelming majority of stories, she's been in the Hollywood industry for decades, writer, producer, director, she said, the overwhelming majority of stories in Hollywood are about fathers. And as I sat there and as as Elf was on the TV last night, I go, this is a story about a father. If you know, uh, probably all of us have seen that movie. And every story in the Bible ultimately really comes down to fatherhood. It comes down to our relationship with our father. So let's read the story here today in, in Luke chapter 10. There's two things happening here. There's two stories. I want you to pay attention to both as we start to read here. One is what's happening, the story that Luke is telling who wrote this. And then one is the story that Jesus is telling. Okay, here we go. One occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, this expert in the law was an expert in the religious law. Okay? He stood up to test Jesus. teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we stop there and say he's not talking about what can I do to like barely get in by the skin of my teeth and make it to heaven. He's talking about what can I do to inherit eternal life that changes my life now, that gives me life now. The the Greek word for salvation in our our English is the word soteria, which means health. It's a health and wellness. Salvation, eternal life is not just the afterlife, by the way. It's something now. This is what he's asking Jesus here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a throwback verse. This is a throwback to the Old Testament. This is the primary law of which all faith is built. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And then he says, And love your neighbor as yourself. So he answered correctly. And Jesus says, Well, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And so Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A couple stories here. The story is the one that Luke is telling. Luke is talking about this interaction between this expert in the religious law who knew everything, who had all the knowledge and information and knew all the right answers. And then Jesus, the teacher, so that's one story. And then Jesus tells the story to speak to this man. And he tells him the story that we just read, known as the Good Samaritan. And there's some things in this story, some nuances. There's, there's lots. We don't have time to get into There's racial tension in this story. Because the Samaritan, he may have been a Samaritan by blood or just by title. Because the Samaritan was typically, in the Jewish culture which, of which Jesus was a part and so was this religious leader, a Samaritan was a derogatory term. It was a term that represents someone who wasn't pure in their bloodlines being Jewish. They were half-breeds. And so to Jews, they might even call someone a Samaritan just as a derogatory term, even if they weren't a Samaritan. And we don't even know necessarily what Jesus meant, whether or not he was truly a Samaritan by birth and by blood or just using that term, which was common. But Jesus here is making a point that this Samaritan had to overcome a lot of. To be able to do what he did, but he starts off by setting up this character of the traveler. Now, the traveler. Here's what we know about the traveler: is that the traveler took unnecessary risks in this story. That's important to know because this traveler was walking from between Jericho and Jerusalem. And this is about an 18-mile stretch. It's kind of a desert area. It's pretty desolate. It's pretty wide open. And you're very vulnerable on this stretch. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked or ran 18 miles. But if you're walking 18 miles and you're carrying stuff with you, that takes a long time. At three miles an hour, you do the math, about six hours. This was a, a good stretch of time. And people in this culture and this time, they knew better than to walk this particular stretch alone. They knew better. And Jesus does this on purpose, I believe, to, to help us put this character in a position where we don't... He's not easy to necessarily feel sorry for because he took the risk. You know, we can see that today. Like, if you were to walk in some... Think of our larger cities in the United States or around the world. If someone were to just be out walking alone in the middle of the night... In a, in a bad neighborhood or a bad part of a city and something were to happen to him, some of us might think, what were they doing there by themselves alone in this place where people with common sense would know better? So Jesus sets this up to help us understand that he wasn't, it wasn't easy to be endured to him as a, as a person that needed mercy because he put himself at risk. Now Jesus is telling this story, and the stories that we read this week are focused on this idea that we, as people, as human beings, but especially as followers of Jesus, need to help people. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We're supposed to help people. And how often do we really help people? Or how often do we our own little world in our own little bubble, especially if someone's putting themselves in unnecessary risk, we could say, well, I'm not going to help them because they should have known better. I'm going to help somebody else who really needs it. And Jesus is here saying, it doesn't matter what that person does. Jesus also includes a couple other characters and we realize that those who should have helped this poor traveler didn't. We see a priest, we see a Levite. These are religious leaders. These are people that knew the law. They knew what this... Conversation that was being had between this religious expert and Jesus, they knew. They knew that I need to help people. I need to do the right thing. I need to love God and love people. Simple as that. We make life pretty complicated sometimes. If anybody were to know it, it would be them. They were to, were to know better. I remember when we first got married, I was working at a church, and I was driving to church one morning, in, in our old beater. And it broke down on the way to church. Now, this was back in the day. This church was kind of conservative. And I believe I even had like a necktie on. All right? So I look pretty good. I look clean, somewhat respectable. So I get out of my car and I just start walking to church on the main road that everyone drives going into our church. And I'm going to tell you how many people offered to stop and help me that day. Zero. I was an unhappy camper when I got to church. It's like, what is wrong with these people? All driving to church, seeing a guy. I'm sure some of them had to recognize me. Maybe that, maybe that said something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but they just didn't feel like picking me up. Now, we don't know why these Levites or priests didn't do this. But we have some, some background to help us understand. One is... If you're going to to touch a person that might be dead as a priest, that would disqualify them legally in the religious sense from being able to serve for a certain amount of time. So it could have winded up being a major inconvenience for this priest to go and to be able to do this. Maybe I might go to this person and help them, and if they end up dying, then I kind of disqualify. They're kind of put in quarantine, so to speak. There was also a, a... a physical risk involved. Where if they were to they were to kneel down and help this person, that could have been a decoy. Maybe they thought that. Maybe they thought, well, this is a setup. And maybe if I lean down to help them, then I'm gonna get attacked from someone else who's they're working with. You know, a lot of these things go through our minds when we have the opportunities to help people. Did you know that? A lot of times we think, Well, is this really real? You see a person on the street, you go, do they really need the money? Did they put themselves in that position? Is it really their fault? Am I really enabling them? All these things come up in our mind, and I get it. But here they were. They were supposed to be the people that were helped. They were the people of God. And throughout history, what has marked the people of God is the generosity of God's people. In fact, in the early church, after Jesus lived on this earth, told these stories, died on the cross, and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And then these early followers of Jesus just started building this movement. One of the marks of this early movement of God was the generosity of God's people. You know, I heard, I heard our founding pastor, Wes, during the transition, have a conversation. And he said that there's been $40 million given through the ministries of Daybreak in the history of this church. Isn't that remarkable to think about? It's amazing it's the generosity of God's people you you are a generous people by the way I've known that ever since I've known you we've Arianne and I've talked about that for years before I was to step on this platform as your pastor is how loving and kind and generous daybreak people are there's something special here but sometimes we can stop and go oh great you know We've built over 75 wells through Hope Water and other initiatives. And we've, we've done so much and we can stop and say that's enough. But I know it's not enough for us. And I definitely know it's not enough for God. So those in this story that should have helped didn't. And then the twist here that Jesus puts in there is that those that shouldn't have helped did help. And that was be the Samaritan. The Samaritan is, is really the villain of the story in that culture. When, when Jesus came and said, okay, and the third person is there's a Samaritan, everybody thought, oh, yeah, okay. And Jesus here twists the story and says, the most unlikely person, the Democrat helps the Republican, the Republican helps the Democrat, the person you wouldn't think, the people that were at odds, the people that were outcast by society, the Samaritan." And here he is, risking his life, offering his services, offering himself, offering his resources and time to go out of his way to help someone else. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of my dad and his brother. My dad and his brother grew up during the Depression, And you'll see pictures of these men. My dad is there on the right.